It is time for some informed opinion and considered analysis of the week's top news stories. That can only mean one thing, of course, the roundtable. Oh, we've got a good one for you today. We are glad to welcome for the first time Marquensia LaPointe, a partner at the Pillsbury Law Firm in Miami, former federal prosecutor and a Marine veteran of the Gulf War. We are glad to welcome back our friend Anthony Mann, veteran political reporter for the Sun Sentinel, and also welcoming back Raquel Rocky Rodriguez, a veteran government relations attorney with McDonald Hopkins, and she was general counsel to Governor Jeb Bush. Rocky, gentlemen, good morning. Glad to have you here. Morning. Um, the 800-pound gorilla in the room for the entire nation is the Mueller report, and, and Rocky, we can only speculate at this point, but I th I'd, I'd like to get your all of your opinions, but are we going to see, do you believe, maybe an executive summary from William Barr, or are we going to see more of the report? What, what should we be expecting to see maybe sometime later today? Well, I think General Barr has indicated that he will be providing some kind of summary of the key findings of, of the report. The, uh, the issue with releasing the entire report as you well know, over a period of two years, the, yeah. the um, uh, special prosecutor, uh, Mueller, has been collecting a lot of information on a lot of people. He's right. interviewed a lot of people. Right. There are people that probably have nothing to do with the actual allegations of wrongdoing, but there might be negative information about right. them. And uh, I'm, there I'm, will be. I'm sure that Mark will share with us as a federal prosecutor, uh, Department of Justice policies about not just randomly releasing negative information about right. people who haven't been charged. So I think they have to be very careful with what they release. And I think there's also a separation of powers issue. I know that members yeah. of the Congress- The executive branch has exactly. a lot of power to sort of keep this under wraps or a lot of it if they choose to. But of course, Mark, the, the president this week was asked, you know, what about the Mueller report? And he said, let it out. Let's, let, let's see what it says. Yeah, sometimes you get what you ask for. And I agree with Rocky. There are certain considerations that you have to actually look into. But I think transparency ought to trump uh, everything else. Transparency. Uh, right. I, absolutely. In this case, we know this has been one of the most consequential uh, investigation in our time with respect to this president. Yeah. And we also know that. Not since Kenneth Starr and indeed. The, the Clinton, uh, you know, special counsel. Absolutely. And we also know that uh, we got to give the, the special counsel some credit in as much as normally you'd have these reports and then subsequent to the reports, you would have indictments come out. Right. Uh, this has been different throughout this report, throughout this. Uh, special counsel Mueller has actually been indicting folks. It's been about uh, half a dozen people have been indicted uh, surrounding the president. We've also had a number of Russians who've been indicted. So yeah, it's 28, 28 uh, Russians absolutely. have been indicted. They'll never come to trial because right. they won't be extradited. Sure. So he's been very busy, but my sense is, and I understand Rocky's position, that is you have to make sure you protect the rights of individuals who are not going to be, who are not targets, who are not subjects of this investigation. You make sure that, that yeah. their reputation uh, is yeah. not sullied. Not the same sullied, time. yeah, of in any way. Anthony, um, you know, I was with some friends last night at a wedding, a beautiful event, and uh, they were saying they happened to be Trump supporters, admirers, and they were kind of in fact gloating and saying no indictments you know he's off you know he's in the clear and the fact is until we see the report I mean there are not going to be any indictments so that does seem to redound in in the president's favor it would seem so although there have been 34 indictments I think is the total yeah 
uh, from the special counsel's office. I think politically the whole thing has to be released, maybe with some redactions for actual methods of intelligence gathering yeah. because of the stuff he got about Russians. But it probably is to the benefit of all sides politically for it eventually all to become public and really without taking all that long so there's less yeah. speculation and spinning. Yeah, well, we would point out, and I'm sure we all saw it, that this past week, I guess, 414 members of the House of Representatives and zero opposed, they voted in favor of the release of the total document. So uh, we know how Congress feels about it. I don't know if they had a choice, but good for them. Um, well, oh, well, and if it goes to Congress in some form, yeah. even if it hasn't been released, in effect, it will become public because Congress tends to well, members Washington of Congress tend to leaks, talk a lot. We all know that. I mean, if it if it goes to some members of Congress, we are eventually <laughs> right. going to uh, we are going to see it. Uh, let's kind of you know we will. By the way, Local Ten is on the case, and if the Mueller report in any way is released later today or even during this program, we will bring you that uh, report from ABC News. Um, uh, Rocky, you've lived in South Florida a long time. You saw these videos of these kids fighting, drinking, drugging on Miami Beach uh, over the past week or so. Um, and you heard the mayor and the police chief say, here's what we're doing about it. This is a serious situation. You know, it breaks my heart, Michael, because I was born in Miami Beach. Mm. And I've been going to the beach, the Lincoln Road. I mean, I've seen Miami Beach in every single one of its permutations, and it's sad that one week out of the year or two weeks out of the year yeah. defines it. And, you know, I think that they have an obligation to preserve order. I think that they, uh, they've given a really good explanation as to why they're doing what they're doing. They're enforcing the law. I've known Mayor Gelber for over 20 years, and I know that he's a person who respects people's yeah, rights. Former federal and prosecutor. And a former federal prosecutor. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, would I prefer there not to be flashing lights and uh, police officers in, in full regalia? Um, you know, maybe you could do it with something a little more casual, but sometimes yeah. you have to send a message, and I think the message they're trying to send yeah. are really to the bad actors that they mentioned that are coming in from the Tri-County area yeah. to try to exploit this situation. So I think it's, it's a mix of things, and um, mm. I, hope, I, I hope that eventually people understand that it's a place to go for fun, uh, not for doing bad stuff. Right. Uh, Mark LaPointe, I thought it was interesting that both the, the police chief and the mayor said that some of these young people come hoping to get this kind of notoriety on social media by getting into a fight. Their friend is, you know, taking it, uh, recording it on a cell phone video and then posting it. Uh, I've got to say, I guess I'm really naive. I don't see the value of that, but I guess uh, this is a new generational kind of way to get famous. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, social media has become a, a driver for a lot of behavior. A lot of, some of it good behavior, some of it bad behavior. I think all of us here who have children have had that talk with our children about, right. you know, how dangerous it is, the consequences. The fact of the matter is people do use social media to post all sorts of uh, dubious and nefarious things. Uh, I would go back to your point. One of the things you mentioned to, uh, to Dan, and I know Dan, Dan is a good man, who is uh, attuned to matters of social justice. Uh, one of the key questions you ask is, how about the folks who are the African Americans who, who feel somehow, what I am I doing? I want you to speak to that, sure. Of course, and the fact of the matter though is, 
I agree with Rockies. There's, of course, law and order matters. I think all of us here wants to live in communities where the police is able to actually come in and, and, and protect the citizens who are not uh, actually uh, creating problems for the rest of the community. But at the same time, we also know that there are always innocent, good uh, uh, citizens who are just doing, uh, who just living their lives, right, who are just around. And oftentimes, those folks, they feel, they feel that they're being targeted Right. Uh, you know, somehow they end up being at the bottom of the pile yeah. when the police shows up. Right. And that's, that's a problem. As a former prosecutor, I understand you right. need to have law and order. You need to make sure that folks actually uh, are held accountable. But you also have to look at how you actually apply those. Yeah. Well, I know that Ruben Roberts, who is the local president of the NAACP chapter, you know, is quoted in this morning's Herald as saying, look, the police have to be sensitive to cultural differences, you know, and when they're dealing with people who don't look like them, and I think that that's probably Absolutely. true. Yeah. This concern came up uh, a year ago in Fort Lauderdale when it was trying to curb a resurgence right. of spring break excesses, and the uh, lone African-American mem African member of the city commission raised some objections to regulations that it would allow, it would ban coolers and say, right. okay, are they only gonna tell uh, black people you can't have your cooler? And so it really, it's a, it's a really tough uh, question. Yeah, it is indeed. All right, everybody sort of stay in place, hold your thoughts. We'll be back with more Roundtable in just a minute. Welcome back. A lively roundtable this morning with Anthony Mann from the Sun Sentinel, Rocky Rodriguez of Law Fame, and Mark LaPointe. Welcome to you, Mark. We're glad that you have joined the roundtable. You'll be here many times in the future. Uh, Anthony, let me ask you, this week there was something I thought really got my attention in Fort Lauderdale when the Fort Lauderdale Commission, the mayor, uh, awarded to Inter-Miami FC, David Beckham, Jorge Moss, and their partners, the right to redevelop Lockhart Stadium into an 18,000-seat soccer pitch and training fields. And um, I had no idea they were negotiating over this, but Jorge Mas says he's going to spend $60 million, no tax money, to do this. Now, where did, was this out of the blue, or was I just simply unaware? It popped up pretty quickly. I mean, this has been, this has been bubbling around uh, for a few weeks and gotten some coverage, and there were, it, it caused, um, you know, obviously a lot of interest among soccer fans and, sure. uh, and residents. They claim that this is something that is not going to cost the city anything. I mean, it sounds like a, a great deal. Almost too good it's to be true. Almost too good to be true. And there is the city commission voted to approve this, but there is not a final contract yet. So, yeah. the de to say the cliche, the devil's in the details, and yeah. we'll see. Yeah, Rocky, I have to say, and I'm going to do a little commentary at the end of the show. Don't want to sort of you know supersede myself here, but you know, for six years, David Beckham, God bless him, has been trying to get a soccer stadium built in Miami and get a team going and we're glad that he has tried to do it but all the romance has been with the city of Miami, Miami-Dade County and then suddenly they go up to Fort Lauderdale and uh, Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez and uh, uh, Miami Commissioner Joe Correo, some other people are kind of reeling back and saying my goodness you know uh, do you really love us? I mean you've jilted us for Fort Lauderdale. Mm -hmm. Well. Um, I've worked on a number of economic development projects around the state and the one thing I can tell you is that people that are trying to do a deal with government uh, sometimes don't appreciate how 
many uh, barriers there can be, legal as well as bureaucratic. And of course, as you know, in Dade County, in order to lease public lands, you have to have a public referendum. Right. And then people have something to say about it. Uh, it recently <laughs> was challenged, and right. uh, the city won on that on that challenge. On, um, on the Miami Freedom Park out right. there in Mel Reese golf course property. Exactly. But there's always, um, you know, more to a deal than, than meets the eye. Yeah. So my guess is if they're in a hurry to get started with the team and they want to do a few more things without having to go through yeah. referenda on a regular basis, um, of course, business is going to go where they feel more welcome. Now, should they have given a heads up to the city or the county and say, look, we're encountering these issues, we yeah. may have to look elsewhere? Uh, I would hope that they would. Maybe they did. Yeah. I maybe, don't know. Maybe they did. What we know did happen was that the morning after the deal was struck, they had the 5-0 to zero vote in Fort Lauderdale. Jorge Mas, at I believe 1.12 a.m., uh, posted a tweet which got a lot of attention. Here it is. He said, it could have been in Miami. He's talking about the facility, the training facility here, basically. Could have been in Miami, but zero ability to build world-class complex. Their hands are tied by antiquated laws. Our parks are cow pastures, and kids have to go to Orlando to play tourney. Sad state of affairs in Miami-Dade. And then he said Fort Lauderdale is better. Mark, uh, maybe the lesson here is uh, don't tweet anything at uh, <laughs> you know, 1.12 in the morning. Uh, actually, I have a rule as a general rule. Whenever I'm writing something that late at night, I usually say I'd like to sleep on it uh, before I actually finalize it. That's not the kind of language that he should have used. Uh, my sense is he's reflecting his own uh, sort of frustration with the city yeah. of Miami. Uh, look, the fact of the matter is Miami is an international city. Uh, and, and with all that comes with that, and, and there's nothing more international than, than the game of soccer. I, I, I mean, if you go to Colombia right now in some mountain town, they're playing soccer, or if you go in some farm town in Haiti, they're playing soccer. So I understand that. But at the same time, as Rocky just mentioned, though, uh, when you're doing these big projects, and I understand they want to have a grand scale, uh, you know, a complex that involves hotel, they always take time. There's litigation. There's all types of roadblocks that are placed right. before you. And you need to show a certain amount of uh, appreciation uh, for the process. And, and I imagine at some point uh, uh, Mr. Mass will get around to get to that point with the city folks right. uh, to get well, that. Well, uh, they're supposed to vote, I believe, in November. Uh, I mean, Miami voters, as you said, Rocky, had already said, yes, you can have a, a no-bid contract uh, for this Mel Reese property, but the city commission still has to approve that, and you need four out of five votes. I'm not sure they've got four votes right now. Which politically, it, that's realistically, may be part of, uh, maybe a big part of what the whole Fort Lauderdale thing was, well, to, kind of right. a, to kind of give a shove to Miami. Yeah. Yeah, and the one interesting sort of technical thing, we're talking about the delays and how much time it's uh, been taking to do things in Miami. They have a very aggressive timetable for this Fort Lauderdale project, and well, again, no ever? contract, and they still, you know, all the permitting. I mean, let's see how this really yeah, develops. Uh, yeah. I mean, he says that uh, Jorge Mas said, I believe, something like 18 months or so, we're going to have a usable stadium, 18,000 seat stadium, mm -hmm. where Lockhart uh, Stadium is now. Rocky, and no final but, contract yet. Rocky <laughs> can speak to that. Yeah. When you make those kind of projections, she, I mean, she will tell you there's. Mm -hmm 
all kinds of delays that occur. There's all kinds of roadblocks that yeah. come in. So that that's very that's very optimistic. It's ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. Hire good lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> we know any? Yeah, I think we do. All right, everybody, hold your thoughts back with one more segment of our roundtable after a break. Welcome back. We are in the midst of a roundtable with a great group. And Anthony Mann, this week in Miami-Dade, specifically in Miami Gardens, uh, Andrew Gillum came back. Andrew Gillum, who ran, I thought, a good but not successful campaign for governor against Ron DeSantis, lost by 33,000 votes, said he had a big announcement he was going to make. I mean, the hype was kind of over the top, I think. Uh, but then he announced, I'm going to get my goal here, my job for the next year, is to get one million Democratic voters registered in the state of Florida. Is that realistic? Well, it might be. Uh, I, registering voters, as a few people told me uh, when I was reporting about that event, that's almost the easy part. It's then what happens to those people that you sign up to vote. Do you actually get them to the polls? And right. he says he wants to engage them also. But uh, what does it mean, engage them to get them committed and giving money and uh, getting them committed enough so they'll go out and vote the way you hope if you're a Democrat and right. in Gillum's case actually go and vote. There still are a lot of specifics that aren't clear about this. I mean, just how much money is he really uh, have in mind to do this and how it will happen yeah. and how you'll even count the million uh, supposed new voters that on the same day the state Democratic Party said it had an effort to spend two million dollars right. to register two hundred thousand voters and some of that is being double counted so yeah. uh, it, it's a good way for Gillum to try and stay relevant and keep himself in the news. Right. Uh, Mark LaPointe, um, I, I've gotten to know Andrew Gillum a little bit over the course of the campaign. He's a very engaging, a very appealing man, uh, very likable uh, and there are some people who think we're expecting at, the, at this uh, a big announcement, he was going to say he was going to run for president. He, he did not. And in fact, has sort of shied away from answering that question. What's, what's up with Mr. Gillum? What is he going to do? do you well, think? I, I think you're correct. A lot of folks uh, were expecting a whole lot more than what came out because every one of us received a tweet or some sort of email to that regard. Uh, the fact of the matter, though, is he is a political force. He's shown that uh, in terms of what he's been able. I mean, he came that close to winning. Yeah, thirty-three thousand votes. I mean, less than one half of one percent. Right, and and I think as Tony mentioned, uh, he obviously he needs to keep himself engaged because clearly there is a future for him, not only in the party but also potentially in national politics. And what better way to do so than to actually engage as it relates to the voting rights? Uh, all of us here know very well that this is a state that. There's, it, at any given time, at any given statewide election, there could potentially be uh, uh, some sort of uh, litigation. And my sense is uh, there's great merit to going out there and trying to actually increase the role. And I, I, particularly given what we know what's been going on with the, uh, with, with the uh, uh, felon voter registration. Amendment 4. Right. Yeah. We know now there's been some issues with that in terms of the legislature trying to actually uh, minimize uh, the number of folks who actually can get that. So I think I think you ought to be given some credit uh, for actually engaging, uh, for wanting to go out there and actually increase the roles. At the end of the day, yeah. you want to have that. Yeah, well, Florida has, what, 13 million voters. Right. I mean, let's get everybody who can vote legally on the rolls. And right. Rocky, that brings us, I'm glad Mark brought this up. Mm -hmm. uh, the state legislature, specifically the House, has a bill going through which would add, in the view of some, impediments 
for ex-felons who, according to Amendment 4, 64% of Floridians, of course, said an ex-felon who served his or her time, uh, made restitution, should be able to vote. Just go in, register to vote. The House is saying, no, they got to pay any court fees or fines or other things. Is that fair? Is that what voters wanted? It's what they voted for because the, the amendment said sentence. You have to have completed all aspects of your sentence. And in many cases, a fine is an alternative to incarceration. That's a sentence. In other cases, it's a restitution uh, as a condition of probation. So I think that you have to evaluate um, what is part of the sentence, and it may be yeah. different in each case. So I, I think that um, it's, um, it's, it's somewhat, I don't know, uh, hiding the ball if, if with the proponents uh, of Amendment 4, we're hoping is that all those other issues would be ignored and we'd focus exclusively on incarceration and probation. That's not really complete. They were fooling the voters if that's what uh, they thought Mark, because the sentence yeah. is much more complete. You, you see this differently. I, I would respectfully disagree with Rocky, and, and, and Rocky is so well learned about uh, a great deal of this. But the fact of the matter, though, is this. The amendment didn't say uh, we're going to allow actual uh, uh, felons to be able to vote uh, with any other condition than if they had, other than the fact that if they had uh, uh, been guilty of murder or, or, or sexual, uh, sexual assault. The fact of the matter, though, is uh, what they're trying to do right now is unconstitutional. We know about the history of voting rights in this country. We know about the history of, uh, of Is this poll voter taxes. suppression? Oh, absolutely. It is to, to, the, to the degree that, and I, and I understand where Iraq is coming from, but the mere fact that they may have argued uh, for sentence, right, doesn't mean that you can reduce, you can actually impose now this tax on them. Yeah. Because now a fine, it is a fine, it is a payment. At the end of the day, there's been tons of case law. If you look at equal protection yeah. litigation, that says you may not impose this. Now, you may, you yeah. may phrase it any way you want, but it is still a payment. Yeah, I'm going to have to jump in. We could go on here, sure. and perhaps we will after the show. But uh, we are out of time, Mark. Sure. Point. Great to have you here. Rocky, always good to see you. Anthony, thanks for your good reporting. Thanks for being here. All right, still to come, my personal perspective about Team Beckham. Oh, they romanced Miami, and then they got in bed with Fort Lauderdale. What's going on?